technologies in the built environment across the wireless frequency spectrum. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, your Realcom host for today's webinar. It's part one in this two-part series. It's technology options across the wireless frequency spectrum. Wireless frequencies are bombarding all of us all the time. Ensuring frequency management and utilizing these options in the built environment can get very complicated very quickly. It's a good thing that we're not using them in the visible spectrum. That would be really confusing. So that's what we're talking about today. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. First of all, thank you to our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions and comments. It, it is always better when you participate actively and we can get uh, your comments, your thoughts, and address those in the, in the panel discussion. So uh, don't be shy. We'd really love to hear from you. In the handout section, you'll find more detailed bios of our panelists and a copy of today's entire slide deck. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. Think of it as your own frequency management project and give us an, our video frequency the highest priority. You'll, you'll, you won't regret it. If you are experiencing any technical issues with connectivity or sound or video quality, the best thing to do is disconnect and click on the webinar link again. You can also email in at ithompson, that's I-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, at realcom.com for help during the event. But don't worry, you won't miss anything because you will receive a link to the webinar recording later today. And we've included my email at the bottom of this slide in case you're watching this as a recording and you think of questions for the panel, just send them to me and I'll forward them along. This educational webinar is supported by our outstanding sponsors. For more than 170 years, Corning has combined its unparalleled expertise in glass science, ceramic science, and optical physics with deep manufacturing and engineering capabilities to develop life-changing innovations and products. They are transforming the way the world connects. And Spot On Networks offers managed Wi-Fi, cell boost, distributed antenna systems, RF and cellular surveys, and so much more. They're all about wireless, so be sure to check them out. We are grateful for these contributions by our technology partners to this industry to Realcom and to helping us educate viewers in sessions just like these. So be sure to include them in your vendor evaluation process. Our moderator for today is Julia Pitlick. And Julia is an independent marketing and operations executive. Welcome, Julia. Thanks, Chuck. Uh, good morning and uh, also to uh, afternoon to those on the East Coast. So I'm really honored to be here today to uh, help guide the discussion as we delve into the cutting edge realm of wireless technology within the confines of our built environment. So I have an interesting statistic to mention. Did you know that 80% of calls and data ses sessions are actually initiated indoors? So with most of our communications taking place in buildings, it's not um, unimaginable that the importance of robust in-building communications uh, and wireless solutions cannot be overstated. Um, we're now in an era where connectivity is not just a, a luxury, but it's a necessity. 
So from smart homes to commercial complexes, also hospitals to shopping centers, the demand for seamless, reliable, high-speed uh, high wireless connections is really at an all-time high. As a result, uh, the wireless technology landscape, we're seeing it constantly evolve with exciting new innovations and advancements that are um, continually on the horizon. And according to Data Alliance, there are close to 20 wireless technologies that are poised for significant growth for the remainder of 2023 and throughout 2024. We won't be able to touch on all of these today, but we will be speaking to several. Some you will recognize such as Wi-Fi, which is widely available in all buildings and facilities. Others may not be familiar to you like UWB or NFC, but we'll touch on those to, to explain those, those ones that may not seem um, as familiar. Um, with Wi-Fi, um, expect to see investments in Wi-Fi 6, Wi-Fi 6C, the extended version, and even Wi-Fi 7 in the near term. Qualcomm and others are already forecasting availability of Wi-Fi 7 devices, yes, in late next year, 2024. Um, I thought that was interesting to note. I just uh, came upon that recently. Um, on, in the 5G space, 5G is going to continue to expand globally and investments in infrastructure will remain a priority for this area. However, um, research into 6G has already started with a focus on providing faster and even more efficient wireless networks. So like 5G, the Internet of Things trend and rapid growth are going to continue. Um, IoT and also cellular IoT technologies um, that enable long range, low power and cost effective solutions um, will continue to be popular for connecting the ever expanding wide array of IoT devices. And with private LTE and 5G networks, providing dedicated and secure wireless connections and also supporting many devices, these technologies have become an attractive investment for businesses looking to optimize their operations. And, uh, and in the same fashion, enabling these private wireless networks, the CBRS or Citizens Broadband Radio Service, which is a US only spectrum at 150 megahertz in the 3.5 gigahertz band increases the capacity and the use cases of private wireless networks. So it's also attractive to businesses as it provides monetization opportunities for the network investment, which is always top of mind to building owners and operators. So uh, moving on, uh, another key point uh, to note is that BLE, or what is also known as Bluetooth low energy is expected to flourish in the coming years. Uh, Bluetooth 5.2 version and also the low energy audio use the same 2.4 gigahertz radio frequencies as classic Bluetooth. So it's an essential method of short range wireless communications between devices. So it will continue to, to remain a priority. It's also easy to use and everybody knows Bluetooth. So you've also probably heard of Apple Wallet. So NFC, what they call NFC or near field communications is an industry standard in the technology behind Apple Wallet. With the growing popularity of contacts, trans, con, excuse me, contactless transactions and IoT devices, 
NFC is expected to remain an essential in-building wireless technology. And I just noted as of yesterday, there are banks in Australia that are moving uh, really rapidly to uh, eliminate any type of checks or currency going forward and everything will be digital in the short term. Um, In-building safety and security applications like indoor positioning systems, secure keyless entry and device to device connectivity are driving demand for what we call ultra wideband technology or UWB. And UWB is uh, a short range wireless technology that provides precise location and positioning capabilities. And lastly, a key component of 5G networks that we'll touch on today um, called millimeter wave technology. These investments are expected to drive innovation and new use cases across multiple industries. Uh, millimeter wave supports applications like radar systems, high-speed data links and imaging, just to name a few. And I know there are some um, players uh, in the market, uh, new uh, uh, innovative technology companies that are coming forward with um, millimeter wave non-line of sight uh, capabilities that are already in market as we speak. So with many technologies to consider and each supporting different use cases and needs, there's no one size fits all solution. Um, and when looking at these technologies, the way that you consider what type of spectrum you will use is largely dependent upon the reason for the deployment. So, you know, that's important to keep in mind as each range has distinct advantages. So I'm confident by the end of our discussion today that you'll walk away with some valuable insights and these insights will help you drive your projects and innovation forward. So we have a lot to talk about, a lot of interesting, new, exciting information. So let's go ahead and bring in our experts and thought leaders who will share their insights and experiences specific to these in-building wireless advancements. So I'd like to start with first introducing uh, Clayton, Clayton Bromson, sorry about that, Clayton. And he is the VP of IT infrastructure with Cousins Properties. Cousins is based in Atlanta, Georgia, and as the VP of IT, Clayton is responsible for all aspects of Cousins IT infrastructure as it applies to corporate office and property infrastructure, including networks, also end user devices, security, data centers, disaster recovery, and more. So I'm going to turn over the floor to you, Clayton, and you'll have five minutes to cover your presentation, and then we'll follow up with a few Q&A uh, uh, pieces following that for three minutes. Thanks, Julia. Somebody flip the slide there. Thank you. Um, we've been focused primarily on the five, uh, on 4G in the past, and we're moving now to 5G. Um, and we're also moving from Wi-Fi 5 to Wi-Fi 6. Um, from the cellular standpoint, this is now becoming 5G is what we're pushing for for all of our new build. Um, it's for us, 5G is more about getting some low latency uh, than it is for performance. The 4G LTE was doing fine as, from a performance level, but typically we were seeing 50 millisecond uh, average latency time, and a lot of the IoT applications now want that to be somewhere between the 10 and 20, and lower than 10 would be optimal. 
that's where 5G will come in and help us out with that because now we can get down into that sub 10 millisecond latency with the 5G and, and IoT. One of the things that uh, we always have to remember as we move towards 5G is this is a cellular as a carrier service for us uh, extended into the building. So sometimes it's not always as easy to get the carriers to jump on with 5G. Um, a couple of the carriers, not to mention them or call them out specifically, but some of them are very eager to start doing 5G into the buildings. Others are still catching up. Um, 5G is a little bit sometimes confusing because there's all kinds of different bands. There's low bands, there's mid bands, there's a high band, which everybody knows is millimeter wave. And now there's a C band that's mixed in there that's kind of a little bit above the CBRS range for AT&T and Verizon. T-Mobile will probably follow that next year. Um, we're trying to push towards getting into the C-band range because that's where we'll get both the performance and the latency for, for IoT. We're looking at the 5G primarily over the Wi-Fi because IoT devices are, are best, built, uh, best built on top of the cellular because a lot of that security is already built in. Um, I would say in general, cellular hasn't been a deal killer for Cousins but it's getting much more uh, higher demand. Um, everything we do in new build, we're evaluating in the very beginning as to whether we need to put a, an in-building system in or not, uh, depending on the building, where it's located in the city, how tall the building is, taking in all those factors. Um, one of the things that we're doing a lot of now is courtyards. And, and this is where we really are, are looking for the for the cellular, even though we can't extend the building DAS out into the courtyard, um, does make it much easier for us to do the courtyards. And we're finding many more people now as 5G is becoming standard on the street um, are just not switching over to using Wi-Fi anymore. So where we used to populate courtyards with Wi-Fi, now people just use their cell phones and they don't ever switch off their cellular. Um, Biggest issue we always have and have had for years is how do we get the, the cost recovery? Who's gonna pay for that DAS? Um, we still chase the, can we get uh, the carriers to pay for it? That's getting fewer and fewer uh, opportunities for that. Um, there's, there's always the owner buys the, the DAS and puts it in and somewhere between a buck 50 and $2 a square foot. Um, that can be very expensive. Um, we have taken approach with several buildings to get our, our tenants or customers to share in that cost. Um, and that's had some success. Uh, I would recommend you try that if you're, if you're looking to recover that cost. Um, we, have, we have had customers put their own DASs in, and that's always a, a risky thing when you put a partial DAS in a building. And where does that impact you? It's definitely on the lower floors where you have some signal from outside the building. And now you put a DAS in the building, but not on your floor, on the floor above you or the floor below you. And now your customers are complaining because the, the, one of the other customers put a DAS in, now that causes them problems using their cell phone. So I would always encourage you, if you're gonna do a DAS, do the whole building. Don't, don't try to do partial. If you have a customer that really wants to do that, make sure that you're measuring the, the gain and that they're producing so they're not interfering with your other customers.
Um, we've got a lot of 4G LTE systems in the buildings. Uh, there's a challenge to upgrade to 5G. It's not just changing the radios. Um, depending on how old your DAS is, the antennas may not support up into the C-band range and you may need to replace antennas. If you're replacing the radios and the antennas, you might as well just replace the DAS uh, completely. Um, and that and that's a that's a challenge now that be, that we're now four to four years into the into 5G. It just doesn't make sense to be doing 4G new anymore. It makes sense to try to push for the 5G so you're not putting something in and then do it trying to do a major upgrade in the next five to seven years. On the Wi-Fi 6 side, um, we have started putting in Wi-Fi 6 in all of our buildings and even retrofitting the Wi-Fi 5 to Wi-Fi 6. Um, one of the big advantages there, of course, is there's, there's a better performance level with Wi-Fi 6. Um, one of the things that was a problem if you wanted to use Wi-Fi 5, it really only supported the 5 gigahertz and didn't support the 2.4 gigahertz devices. And a lot of the IoT stuff is still 2.4. So as soon as you turn that on, you're really now running down into the 802.11n, uh, which is down to the Wi-Fi 4 uh, performance level in order to get those 2.4 devices to connect. Um, one of the things that's a little different about Wi-Fi is Wi-Fi tends to be more of an amenity provided by the owner. Um, and it's tough to share that throughout the building because a lot of companies want to have their own Wi-Fi and secure it in their own way. And so that's been the challenge a little bit to say, how do you provide Wi-Fi throughout the building when a lot of the space is, is a customer space and they want to have their own Wi-Fi? Um, the other piece with Wi-Fi is it's not natively secured. Yes, it's encrypted to the, to the uh, access point to your PC, but you still need to have firewalls in place. You have to set up different uh, SIDs and different VLANs uh, across the network. So there's a lot of security management internal for Wi-Fi that you just don't have with 5G. Um, and it's it's not really, because of that, it's not really easily native to IoT because you, you'll end up trying to segment out those IoT devices uh, for security purposes. Um, Wi-Fi for a long time has been a must have. Everybody has it. Part of the problem is everybody has it. So if you ever go into a building, you look at the Wi-Fi available and you're, I'll be surprised if you see less than 50 different Wi-Fi networks available. That obviously can cause interference and you have to kind of keep on top of that. Um, in building, Wi-Fi is a little easier to do. In the courtyards, Wi-Fi becomes a little harder to do. Now you have to um, find places to mount those wireless access points because while it's wireless coming out of the access point, it's not wireless to the access point, it's hardwired. And with a lot of the uh, vendors of the Wi-Fi, external Wi-Fi uh, access points, they're now asking to put two ethernet cables in order to support the power requirements of the Wi-Fi six access points. Uh, cost recovery is, is a little easier for the access points, but Obviously, Wi-Fi is ultimately limited to how big the circuit is that's coming into the building and then getting the recovery for much larger internet circuits into the building as you get more and more customers on your Wi-Fi, then becomes a challenge similar to the DAS. Um, and then last, Wi-Fi 5 
some of those challenges are upgrade again, like I mentioned on the external, upgrading from a Wi-Fi 5 access point to a Wi-Fi 6 might require more cabling. Um, a lot of the older PCs will not support Wi-Fi 6 yet. All the new ones, of course, do, but everybody doesn't have new PCs, so there's also a challenge to get that. Um, Wi-Fi 6 is obviously pushed over the one gig boundary. Um, that means you need to look at the internal structure in the in the network and do your switches support that, and you need to go to higher than one gig switches in order to really take advantage of that Wi-Fi 6. That's, that's it for me. Any questions? I have a few questions for you. So since um, this is a good uh, actually a segue since you were just talking about Wi-Fi 6. With Wi-Fi 7 um, on the verge of being released in about 12 months, and um, I don't know that there are a lot of Wi-Fi 6 deployments um, out in, in buildings yet, but do you see that there could be a potential where people are going to do um, just move to Wi-Fi 7 and skip Wi-Fi 6 altogether? So the one thing that drives Wi-Fi turns out to be your phone and your PC. So there's always a lag time between when that new standard gets released and when the devices will support it. And that becomes the decision point for when do you go to Wi-Fi 7? Why do you, when do you not do Wi-Fi 6 anymore? Um, so while I've heard where Wi-Fi 7's at, I haven't yet heard where the major PC manufacturers are gonna start putting Wi-Fi and 7 enabled devices in the, in the computers. And that's what's going to drive that decision. Okay. So, and we have do have a question from a panelist. So I'll go to their questions before my own. And this is coming from Samit Johar. Um, Samit is asking um, Clayton if you could share a real-world example of IoT usage that requires the low latency of 5G. Actually, yeah, I can. Um, one of them is is the uh, parking gates. So we have to we have parking gates to manage. They require a a 14 millisecond or less latency. So we couldn't do that under a 4G, which we would have loved to have done, being it's in the parking lot uh, or in the parking garage. Um, we had to do that as a as a actual hardwired in order to get the latency down um, for using your credit card to get out. Great, thanks for sharing that. So we're going to move on now to our next speaker who is um, joining us from Mace Rich, and that is Brian Schwartz. Brian is the Vice President of IT, and he is responsible for smart building infrastructure at over 50 centers portfolio-wide. At uh, Mace Rich, he oversees the installation and support for CCTV, Wi-Fi, energy management, shopper counting, and DAS. Brian supports digital marketing initiatives, including digital signage and property websites. And I'm sure, Brian, you'll be addressing some of the uh, areas around um, Apple Wallet that I mentioned earlier. So um, I'll hand the floor over to you. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Julia. Um, so just a little bit, start off with um, who Matrix is, for those who may not know. Um, we are an owner operator and developer of shopping, uh, regional shopping centers. So uh, we have 44 regional shopping centers nationwide, approximately 47 million square feet of G GLA, 
Um, we have centers throughout the U.S., including the Los Angeles area, the Phoenix area, the uh, you know New York tri-state area, uh, as well as lots of places in between. So that's um, a little bit about uh, Macerich. So what I would like to talk about a little bit is is starting off with um, our strategy and what we do to um, define the strategy or, or what we look at when we're looking at indoor wireless. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we want to understand the property. We don't want to just throw in Wi-Fi or, or DAS or, or, or any kind of technology without knowing why we're putting it in. We want to look at the property because each property will be unique. It has its own set of requirements, its own, its own set of, of, of things you want to look out for and things you want to accomplish, right? So why, why should we put in Wi-Fi? <clears throat> Would it be an income generating? Like, is that where we want to gear it, right? Do we want to run ads as people join? Um, should it generate analytics, right? There's a lot of analytics you can generate with, with Wi-Fi. And uh, is that important, right? What's important for the <clears throat> Wi-Fi <clears throat> um, for the property? And then <clears throat> what kind of wireless is actually needed? Uh, because maybe just Wi-Fi is going to be adequate for the center. Maybe it is more than that, maybe we need to make sure that there is some kind of cellular coverage or some other coverage that is gonna define this property. And I know <clears throat> Julia mentioned some of the NFC stuff and we haven't actually dove into that as much yet, um, but it is something that we have to consider as we look at the overall strategy of, this, of the property in terms of what we need to do for the for the common area, right? Because we're we're we as Maestrich are, are required are responsible for the common area of the center, right? That's each each retailer will have their own um, their own unique requirements within their space. But what does someone expect when they come to a shopping center, and what do they want to walk into when they are in that shopping center? So that being said, um, <clears throat> we want to look at the customer, the shopper. Um, and for us, right, we want to <clears throat> we want to keep the shopper connected while on property. We want to keep them happy. We want to keep them, you know, if, if you walk into a property and you can't get any kind of signal in any way, shape, or form, you, you may not stay long or you may not come back um, or you may not come at all. So we want to keep that high level of customer satisfaction. We want to attract and retain shoppers. That will, in fact, help all of our tenants get more shoppers in their stores and everybody's happy. So what do our customers want? Do they want Wi-Fi? Do they want cellular? Do they want CBRS? Do they not care? Some don't even know what some of those are, right? You know, you, average shopper comes to a mall, all they care potentially about is is that connection. Hey, my phone's working. I'm, I'm, I feel good. I can, you know, uh, watch YouTube videos while, you know, someone my my kids are shopping or my wife shopping or you know or whatever uh is important to them that being uh said so we'll dive into a little bit of wi-fi and and i know that um clayton kind of mentioned this right wi-fi is everywhere everybody has wi-fi right now um and there's kind of this expectation that wi-fi is is should be anywhere you are people walk into a a stadium an airport a shopping center um, sometimes just a small store and just expect to see Wi-Fi. Uh, and that's that's kind of the, the state we're in. Um, you know, it, it gives, it not only gives your customers that data connection, um, and some 
you know, have limited plants, so they want Wi-Fi wherever they go. Um, for us, it was generally not an income-generating solution. Uh, we we kind of wanted to have Wi-Fi for the customer, the shopper, to be there. Uh, and there's opportunities for analytics gathering. <clears throat> not that we've jumped into that <clears throat> either. With all the privacy laws, we want it to be very calm. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> we want to be very careful with that. We want to treat that data with respect, but it is there if we want to go for it. We know it's there. We just haven't gone into it yet. Um, what's, what does make uh, Wi-Fi interesting, though, and kind of um, one of the questions that you should be asking yourself around Wi-Fi is, you know, now that there's a proliferation of new cellular technologies as well as uh, unlimited data plans, everyone seems to have an unlimited data plan, is it still something that's relevant? I can open up my phone and, I mean, years ago when, when Apple introduced FaceTime, for example, you would have to be on Wi-Fi to make a FaceTime call. Now you can make a FaceTime call wherever you are. So there's not as much of this reason, hey, I got to jump on Wi-Fi in order to do something. So it's, it's, it's kind of lowered the bar of why Wi-Fi is as important as it is. But, like I said, we still struggle with the idea that it is consistently um, a, a, uh, an expectation that it, it's there, right? Or is this a legit business if it doesn't have Wi-Fi, right? People will ask that question. The next piece of our indoor um, wireless strategy is, is a DAS system, and, and Clayton talked a lot about this. Um, so, you know, we, we've partnered with American Tower to provide DAS systems to many of our key assets. Uh, and, you know, again, when someone walks into your center, do you want them to just have that connectivity or are they going to walk in and go for Wi-Fi? We kind of feel they, they might have both, right? So you have to look at the center. Do, does it have great, you know, it's an outdoor center. It's got great access to the, the current uh, uh, cellular technology that's already in the neighborhood. Maybe you don't need to do anything, but hey, this center goes underground and there's no signal down there it's a lot more important for that distributed antenna system for us to have those um, antenna to go all the way down to uh, the, uh, the the downstairs and, and and like Clayton mentioned you want to get that first floor right but even you know in this case it might be a top floor that's on the ground level and then going all the way underground to make sure that people have that cellular signal all the way through um, and and we particularly focus on neutral hosts which you know allows Optimal coverage for any provider, whether it's Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, Sprint, all those can get in there, provide that service. So it doesn't matter when I come in, whether what kind of phone I have, I'm going to get that that good service. But this on this side, we also have that opportunity for income generation. And finally, the other thing we look at <clears throat> is where we are going in the future. With CBRS, um, we are looking at that heavily. Um, we've all we've, we've dipped our toe into just learning about it, right? And there's a lot of there's a lot to know here. Things are changing rapidly. Uh, you know, you know, kind of understanding we, you know, what what you know now there's more handsets on the market that can support CBRS, right? Because once people, once Apple and and Google have started, you know, introducing them into their handsets, it take took a couple of years for those to really trickle into the market and make sure uh, everybody's old handsets got kind of um, pushed out. But there's a lot of opportunity with CBRS that we're looking at, um, you know, owning our own data, potentially leasing out the network to the Verizons and the AT&Ts as opposed to just letting them do what they want in our center 
and, um, and, and having more control over that. Collect that data for advanced analytics if we wanted to, uh, and, and, um, but being careful because it's still a newer technology and understanding what kind of impact that puts on us. So, um, yeah, and then the one other question <clears throat> that I would say is like, you know, Clayton mentioned like we see a lot of people just utilizing their, their they don't even get on the Wi-Fi anymore, right? So what does that mean for us? Well, um, do we need to put Wi-Fi in anymore? So with Wi-Fi 7 coming out, as, as Julia mentioned, and with 6G, 5G, 6G, 7G, whatever comes out next, at what point do you have to leverage the right infrastructure to um, uh, to make sure that you're hitting um, what the customer needs, right? Where do you want to put your money? Where's the smart place? So that, I will uh, turn it back over to Julia for any questions. Great, so um, I have a step, couple I can start with. And, and if anybody in the audience wants to uh, submit a question for Brian, please do so now. Uh, but one of the things I think that's um, probably critical for, for you all at Mace Rich is, um, especially um, with online payment or digital payment becoming more prevalent, is how are you addressing cybersecurity with the technologies you've implemented or you plan to deploy? Yeah, so with our inbuilding wireless, so <clears throat> we don't take a lot of digital payments personally. Um, that's kind of for more our, our, the, our, um, our, our leases to, to do. but we do look at the Wi-Fi and we do spend a lot of time understanding how we can secure that as best we can. Um, we want our shoppers to be secure, so we spend a lot of time paying attention to the cybersecurity and how we can secure that Wi-Fi infrastructure that we're putting into a center because at the end of the day, it's an open Wi-Fi. People can come into their center, they can join it. You accept the terms, but at that point, the um, at that point, you know, you're on the Wi-Fi, right? And anybody can do that. So we do our best and we pay a lot of attention to make sure that, number one, that it is secure from a, a corporate standpoint, right, in terms of what we're doing on our corporate side and what the shoppers are doing, but as much as we can in terms of what the shoppers are doing inside, uh, treat them to a, uh, as much of a safe environment as can be possible in that kind of environment. And then um, one other question I wanted to ask is, how are you addressing your need for bandwidth at your properties? Um, and how are you doing, how are you addressing that in your in-building wireless strategy? Right, so that's uh, that's a good question. There, There's a lot of bandwidth requirement, right? You look at DAS, you look at potentially CBRS, you look at the Wi-Fi, all of that requires bandwidth. So just saying, hey, we're gonna put in this in-building wireless piece, is great, but then you have to really make sure you understand how much of everything is going to be using. And you know, with American Tower, they've been great being able to kind of help us understand how much bandwidth is needed for all the DAS systems that we have. But on top of that, you've got the Wi-Fi system that is leveraging a lot of bandwidth and being able to you know get enough so that every customer feels like they are getting you know band uh, significant enough bandwidth to feel like it's 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 something that's useful, right? If if it's too slow, people are just gonna jump off and get annoyed and, and not wanna be there. So being able to leverage it, figure out how big uh, the pipe needs to be and be able to uh, you know, kind of balance the amount you wanna spend with the amount that's needed and and do kind of the right thing, just pay a lot of attention to it is, is what we're doing and I, I would suggest everyone else to do as well. Great. 
That's very interesting. Thanks, Brian. Uh, we appreciate your insight. And so now um, we're going to move on to uh, a message or, or video of Spot On Networks to learn a little bit more about their capabilities before we move on to the next presentation. Great. Um, so next we're going to hear from uh, Dick Sherwin, who is the president of Spot On Networks. And um, Dick is going to uh, talk, tell you more uh, in, in addition to what we learned from the video here. And Dick has been involved in the wireless communications and radio frequency transmission for over 30 years. So together with uh, a number of telecom veterans, he founded and funded, funded Spot On Networks. And Spot On is a provider of wireless telecommunications for both multifamily, residential, and multi-tenant commercial bu building industry. So Dick, thanks for joining us, and I'll turn the mic over to you. Thank you, Julia. <clears throat> As Julia pointed out, there is a broad spectrum of state-of-the-art wireless technologies. Uh, both um, uh, Clayton and Brian mentioned many of them or some of them and what some of the ins and outs are of them. Uh, small cell technology in conjunction with 5G protocol and the FCC's recent allocation of CBRS spectrum and policy forges new connectivity methods in buildings. One of the more recent additions to these methods is called managed Wi-Fi. Managed Wi-Fi is not a wired connection to the apartment or tenant space with a Wi-Fi router on its end. Rather, it is a seamless bubble of coverage for the entire building or complex. With the components seen on this particular chart, managed Wi-Fi offers building owners another tool to make residents and tenants happy and help to make building operations more efficient. Seamless high-speed connectivity, monitoring and maintaining the network, and offering residents, tenants, and staff 24-7 human contact support with features and functions geared to residents and tenant staff needs provides a much higher level of satisfaction. Managed Wi-Fi is another wireless connectivity mechanism that offers building owners a comprehensive network as a service, bringing carrier-grade services to connection of IoT devices such as thermostats, leak detection sensors, and in addition, smartphone voice calling and wireless high-speed internet access for, again, tenants, tenant employees, residents, and staff. With the amount of frequency available to the managed Wi-Fi service, there is more than enough capacity to handle resident requirements 
as well as building operation functions such as energy management, virtual tours, and back office requirements. Whoops. Can I go back in? Thank you. We have seen in-building voice services evolve over time. Lack of cellular telephone coverage may be due to different factors. Among them, base station placement, height of the base stations not being able to cover tall buildings, and lead certified buildings preventing signal penetration. Wi-Fi calling avoids all of these issues if included in a managed Wi-Fi service. All carriers are supported and no special approvals or designs are required. A managed Wi-Fi service can cost about 40 cents per square foot as compared to an active DAS, which is in the $2 a square foot range. And the Wi-Fi service, the network as a service, if it's managed, offers a lot more function. Both uh, Clayton and Brian mentioned Wi-Fi 6. I think it's important to discuss this very briefly. With the implementation of Wi-Fi 6, several important additions have been made. Because Wi-Fi 6 utilizes orthogonal frequency division multiplexing, which is the same as cellular 5G, Capacity is increased and Wi-Fi and 5G are converging. Not only is there increased capacity and speed with Wi-Fi because of the frequency band size, but security approaches that of 5G. One of the hallmarks of Wi-Fi in the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz spectrum bands is backward compatibility for previous Wi-Fi wi version devices. That is a significant advantage over 5G. With the addition of one gigahertz of spectrum allocated by the FCC for Wi-Fi 6, called Wi-Fi 6E, the amount of capacity increases geometrically. When considering enterprise, industrial, and neutral host networks, Wi-Fi 6 promises many of the capabilities touted for 5G such as lower latency and higher data rates. But seeing these technologies as competitors is really an old fashioned view in a world where both will live in shared spectrum. And so the divisions between these two services are blurring. Wi-Fi is likely to continue to dominate the home and carpeted office markets, but in industrial, critical, highly mobile, wide area environments, and critical um, uh, latency requirements, 5G still has advantages, I'm sorry, Wi-Fi has disadvantages compared to cellular. This is why while individual stakeholders may still talk in terms of technology battles, two stalwart operator-driven alliances, the Wireless Broadband Alliance from the Wi-Fi side and the Next Generation Mobile Network Alliance from the cellular side, are cooperating to drive convergence of the two platforms in order to enable or enhance a wide range of applications. And Julia, I'll turn it back to you. Great. Uh, 
Great. Thanks, Chuck. I'm sorry. I thought I was still muted. So um, I'm going to ask, let's let's do one question and then we're going to move on to uh, a video segment from another um, from our other sponsor, Corning. So one question I would just have for you that I think is of interest is um, should um, building owners and operators expect 5G or 6G to solve their coverage issues that they have in basements and inner floors that they are now experiencing with 4G and LTE? What are your thoughts on that? Um, if, if there's a coverage issue with 4G, 5G is not going to be of any assistance. Because 5G uses C-band and um, uh, the, upper, the upper band frequencies, in addition to the regular uh, frequencies used by 4G LTE, uh, the coverage is going to be poorer than what would have normally been 4G coverage. What about 6G? I don't know enough about it. Okay. Got it. And so um, one more question, and I think this is a good one as well. Um, what do, what is your um, experience? Um, have you noted, um, I guess back in 2020, there was a prediction that voice calls over Wi-Fi uh, would exceed uh, the 50% level. And um, is this mostly applicable for multifamily or does it equally apply to like class A office? And what are you seeing here now that um, we're in 2023? Well, as I think Brian pointed out that, that uh, the cellular frequencies are now um, available through these private networks. Uh, but our view, especially in the multifamily industry is that give or take roughly 75% of all calls occur over Wi-Fi. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Dick. And so now we're going to move on to the uh, promotional video for our other sponsor, Corning. So if you um, would um, allow us, we um, would like your attention to share um, what Corning um, has um, provided for us today. Let me see if I can. A momentary video camera issue. So now we're going to move on to our last speaker from Corning. Um, and we uh, want to welcome Sharish uh, Nagaraj from Corning, who is their chief technologist. And he's also director of the wireless R&D sector for Corning. And he not only uh, leads the wireless R&D sector, he's also um, head of technology development for optical communications. And at Corning, um, they are 
um, delivering world-leading in-building cellular products for tier one operators. Um, at um, Corning, Sharish has also been instrumental in conceptualizing, architecting, and developing the 5G millimeter wave small cell system that's now deployed commercially at several high profile stadiums, also within private enterprises and other venues. So welcome Sharice and uh, thank you for talking with us today. I'll turn the floor to you. Julia, um, glad to be here. So today I'll be uh, talking a little bit um, as other speakers have spoken about different use cases of looking at Wi-Fi versus cellular and where uh, it makes sense. I'd like to take the attention more towards uh, looking at 5G networks and where they are really headed um, and the combination of architectures between DAS and small cell and how, how we see the network evolving uh, over the next few years. So if you look at uh, you know, the key principal areas of interest that are important for in-building networks to really make uh, uh, you know, a big use case for 5G, the first and foremost that we see is really transitioning towards looking at network as a service. So what do I mean by that? The idea is that you have a built network that is a shared infrastructure uh, that uh, multiple operators can use, uh, including private networks. And you can essentially enable what's called as network slicing uh, through that approach. And what that will allow to do uh, for operators and enterprises is looking at software monetization. Uh, Brian and others sp spoke about the importance of monetization and, and uh, through enabling various applications. So network sharing uh, and slicing is uh, something that we believe as being key as we move forward into 5G networks. The second is really around network intelligence. And this goes to sort of cut across the entire workflow where how do you actually embed intelligence in deployment automation? So for example, when you deploy a DAS system or a small cell system, how do we make sure that the system can be built as easily as possible with as much uh, of remote uh, configuration management and so on uh, that can that the services can be turned up um, you know in minutes if you will as opposed to taking days for all kinds of uh, uh, approvals and such like that and then finally once you have uh, the network deployed uh, how can you actually enable advanced tools such as ai to self-optimize and self-heal the network to actually do optimizations uh, on the fly uh, as opposed to requiring a lot of expensive uh, walk testing and, and retuning of the networks uh, for performance. So this is something that we are also looking very heavily into how do we actually enable these networks to be seamlessly uh, you know, deployed and managed. And last but not the least, as we go forward with 5G, with the high data rates that are required, uh, power consumptions are going up and uh, compared to 4G, whether you take small cells that were much more power efficient, uh, how do you actually now ensure that the 5G networks are uh, operating at a much better network efficiency in terms of power that requires innovation in hardware, as well as how do you actually use software to uh, you know, cut the cost of uh, the operating costs of uh, running of, of the power consumption that is there for 5G networks. So broadly, these are three areas that we see as being sort of critical for um, from an innovation standpoint to make sure that 5G networks actually get deployed uh, in mass in, in building environments. So this is a, just a sort of stepping back and taking a look at where our network architectures are heading. 
Uh, if you look at uh, early part of 2000s, you could say that, you know, typically they were macro network focused in the outside, outside plant and inside buildings, it was really, you know, macro base stations driving analog DAS. So with coax cables and, and so on. That sort of started evolving more towards digitalization uh, through centralized RAN, excuse me, um, in the macro space with the baseband hotels, uh, with fiber all the way to remote radio heads. Uh, and in the inside space, you started seeing the move, move from uh, to using baseband units that are driving digital DAS uh, solutions. And at the same time, there was an advent of small cells with both distributed uh, small cells for outdoors, for high capacity urban centers, as well as for in-building uh, solutions, which is one of the places that uh, Corning has uh, solutions apart with the, uh, along with the DAS uh, solutions. But where we see this all going towards is sort of this convergence of what's called as VRAN or virtualized RAN, where essentially all of these baseband functions are all running as cloud-enabled software functions running on general purpose processors. And then the other uh, you know, trend that we are embracing is uh, about openness, so that with the ORAN Alliance defining front hall specifications, you can have interoperability between the radios and the baseband functions in a very seamless manner, and it can also be managed with standardized uh, interfaces. So the combination of these two allow for a lot of CapEx and OpEx savings uh, and make it for much easier deployment. So our uh, enterprise RAN solutions are both VRAN compliant and, uh, and ORAN compliant, uh, very easy to deploy, uh, and they're really sort of merging the uh, lines between what is a DAS versus a small cell. Uh, our DAS solutions continue to uh, provide C-band, excellent C-band coverage uh, wherever you want to overlay along with all the traditional spectrum and provide a various options for both uh, digital connectivity or RF connectivity depending on the needs. So talking a little bit more about how do we enable those kind of architectures, uh, if you look to the right here uh, where I've shown essentially the concept of uh, multiple carriers, so neutral hosting, we believe, is extremely important, again, for, you know, making sure that the total cost of ownership is maintained, uh, but where we have to support seamlessly multiple carriers, and it could be a public carrier that may be uh, with a core, a core network A and a core network B, uh, but also providing a seamlessly uh, private, uh, private network services through another core that is maybe on-prem. And so we have uh, virtualized baseband functions that are now driving a common head end uh, that can then distribute the signal. So all of that intelligence that used to be in the small cell at the radio is now moving more towards the, um, towards the centralized uh, functions. So, um, and all of this is sort of going to come together with, um, you know, management, seamless management that is workflow management from uh, right from ROM design and planning to configuration and optimization, uh, all done uh, remotely through cloud-enabled services. So if you look at what is really important for uh, choosing in-building network solutions, you have to look at, first of all, you know, who's an end-to-end -end solutions provider, so it's not just enough to provide one part of the solution. How can you provide the entire service? Uh, that's going to be critical. The network architecture has to be flexible. So when you have 6G, that it could be software upgradable uh, to different standards and so on. 
Uh, you have to have future proof in, from an investment protection. So fiber plays a key part there so that once you deploy the network, you don't have to keep uh, having to upgrade it. Um, building management system support in terms of the same network infrastructure supporting different use cases, whether it is security cameras or IoT devices and so on. Security is important. Other speakers have also highlighted that uh, where cellular inherently is secure and, and we believe that to be a very big uh, differentiator for our solutions. Uh, and then finally, neutral hosting with multi-operator support, native multi-operator support is extremely critical. And all of that sort of feeds into the total cost of ownership. So we believe that cellular solutions in the in-building space architecturally are now poised for a, for a really big takeoff, uh, especially with the support of multi-operators in a seamless way, uh, supporting all of the sub-6 um, solutions coupled with millimeter wave for um, for uh, overlay in hotspot areas. Thanks, Julia. Great, thanks, Sharice. So I do have uh, at least one quick question, and then again, I'll just remind the participants, feel free to um, ask a question and or submit it online, and we will make sure we get those questions teed up immediately. Um, one thing I would ask is specific to millimeter wave solutions, what applications are you uh, uh, seeing for millimeter wave in um, the buildings where you're doing um, implementations? Yeah, good question, Julia. So uh, with millimeter wave, what we have seen is when what we do have, first of all, is a very uh, aesthetic small form factor, form factor uh, small cell uh, that is actually using a virtualized uh, uh, baseband functions. Um, and, and what we do there is essentially, uh, again, it's very, from a power standpoint, uh, highly power efficient. The main use case that we see is, is in very high profile venues, whether it is airports or stadiums and so on, where there are hotspot areas that need coverage with high uh, data rates. And that is really the cases where we see, um, you know, uh, the millimeter wave being a perfect use case. And we find that the coverage is actually much better than what we had in fact predicted through you know uh, our analysis and it uh, actually through beam forming techniques we're able to cover much larger than what we typically predicted great thanks sharice so what we're going to do now is we're going to bring on uh, the other panelists who have already provided their presentations and we're going to go into a broader q a session so uh, again, if you wanna submit any questions you have uh, in the audience, we'll tee those up. Uh, but what I'm gonna do is I still have some questions I would like to ask some of the panelists. And what I'd like to do is go back to Clayton because there are a couple I would have liked to have run by you, Clayton, that I'd like to go ahead and ask. Um, and one is um, specific to um, the 4G, 5G landscape, when do you see 4G LTE becoming obsolete? So 4, 4G came out in 2009 timeframe and 5G came out 2019. I would say uh, 4G's probably got another five to seven years as it is today, although that could easily be extended if they really implement the dynamic spectrum sharing where you're balancing some of the uh, some of the traffic over the 4G and some of it over 5G to, to make that uh, more accessible and, and to give it more capacity. So I would say it's probably easily through the end of the decade. Does, any, does anyone else have any perspective they'd like to add to Clayton's? 
Yeah, Julia, maybe if I can add, um, one of the things that we do is, of course, right now, all the networks that are deployed are in the non-standalone fashion is in the US, uh, and that's what most devices support. So 4G is kind of the anchor that's needed. So that will continue for a few more years. We are seeing the transition to standalone happening right now. It's a little slower than what we were expecting, but that will happen eventually. And then finally, voice services will move to 5G as well natively once the core network migrates. So um, I agree with Clayton, uh, you know, at least five to seven years to the end of the decade. And then we see even with 3G that it continues for a longer time, but essentially, you know, uh, most of the deployments will be 5G standalone going forward. Great. Anyone else want to chime in before we move to the next question? Okay, so I want to go back to um, Brian, and I want to ask Brian about um, how they're supporting IoT devices in their properties. Are you using wireless um, for IoT? So, uh, generally speaking, we we aren't. We we've we still have a lot of faith in the wired uh, the wired medium for a lot of our devices. We want that uh, steady connection that's that's always there, that's always reliable, that has no uh, latency. Clayton did mention how he got the 5G low latency, uh, everything working in the parking garage, which makes a lot of sense. In the parking garage, you don't want to run a whole bunch of infrastructure out there unless you uh, have to. But uh, wherever we can, we are uh, we are using wired. We do have a few IoT devices. Um, mostly digital directories that will use uh, some wireless, some Wi-Fi to connect back. Uh, fortunately, all these are, are in the common area, so it's easy to kind of jump onto the Wi-Fi or even wire it in. So we haven't had a lot of uh, big uh, efforts to really push us into moving IoT devices into a wireless realm. Great. That's interesting to know. I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't have thought you were using so much wired um, capability for your IoT. So that's very interesting. Um, and then we have a, a panelist, or not a panelist, we have a question for any of our panelists who want to uh, answer this and take a stab at this. But Amadou um, in our audience is asking, um, do you think millimeter wave is the best solution versus Wi-Fi 6 for venues like hospitals or stadiums? And um, then there's a second part to his question, is millimeter wave um, going to replace current DAS? Maybe I can, so, I can start. Uh, okay. Thanks, Sharish. Um, <laughs> oh, no worries. Um, so I'll take the second part. So millimeter wave to replace current DAS, that's not, gonna, that's not the use case. Um, DAS will still remain uh, essentially neutral hosting solutions as everyone's spoken, that's the use case that's going to remain. And especially with C-band, that's going to get even more important. How do you support C-band and traditional spectrum? Millimeter wave, think of it more as an overlay technology uh, sort of a spot technology that for for where you need the capacity. So it's I, we don't believe it's going to uh, sort of replace uh, DAS, especially given that it is an operator specific solution. Um, in terms of Wi-Fi six, uh, you know at least we believe that you know again Wi-Fi is needed in most cases as everybody's spoken about, but really the combination of uh, a, a DAS like neutral host solution that supports FDD bands and C, C band. Uh, would, would be ideally suited for most of the use cases. 
and again when you go to very high profile venues like stadiums there uh, and 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 maybe hospitals or airports specifically is where you need the high capacity the targeted high capacity is where millimeter wave starts to play much more yeah i can add on to that you know as, as we look at you know stadiums airports shopping centers is, is uh, they they aggregate lots of people right you get a lot of people in, in certain places and then you get those sometimes spikes right like in at a certain gate in an airport you right before a flight you get a ton of people and then they get on the plane plane and then it just goes down so being able to handle those large capacities of people and being able to adjust is is what we are looking for in in solutions so millimeter wave like Sharish said is probably going to be something that's going to be a really good solution um, first for like shopping centers and, and we should be looking at that uh, as we kind of look towards the future uh, because because of that exact need and and I think the the, the person who's asking kind of hit it on the head what's what, basically what they're at is what's better for those high capacity locations because it it gets tricky I might add something I might add something to that a little bit the other thing we're kind of moving around and, and talking about is millimeter wave works very well in an open space environment. In an, in an office building, it doesn't penetrate well. The frequencies are too hot to penetrate and it doesn't do well even penetrating walls. So in a closed area with a lot of walls, cement, uh, elevators, that, that type of stuff, it doesn't penetrate. It does great in an open space. If you were to look at where it's being deployed on the street, the the uh, distance it travels, it's like on every light post. Um, so it, it also would mean in a building, you would have a lot of antennas um, just to cover the space. So it works better in that, as as, uh, as both Sharish and Brian had, had mentioned, it works better in that open space, airports, uh, stadiums, Maybe, maybe in a hospital, but I would say it's probably not going to work as well in a hospital either. Julia, if I could add to what Clayton just said, Absolutely. I think it's important to understand where millimeter wave came from and why it was it was forged by the Federal Communications Commission. The cellular carriers needed a large swath of spectrum in order to provide the capacity, as Brian has pointed out. And the millimeter wave was where the spectrum existed to provide that large swath. The problem with millimeter wave, as Clayton has just pointed out, is the lack of penetration, the lack of the ability to penetrate walls and, and other obstacles, even human beings. Uh, millimeter wave does not penetrate human beings. And, and so as a result, you have a situation where millimeter wave can be very, very specifically used in certain instances. But as Alyssa Finley of the Wall Street Journal pointed out, when she was testing millimeter wave Verizon service in Chicago, she could stand on a street corner, get the service from millimeter wave antennas, and then take five steps away from it and lose the service entirely. So, so what building owners should probably do is balance the need for the spectrum where you have a, a, a need for a large amount of spectrum with the low latency and pinpoint transmissions that are needed for IoT and balance then Wi-Fi versus 5G or CBRS. 
and there's a balance. Just one thing, maybe, Julia, if I can add to all the discussion, we've done a fair amount of characterization on millimeter, especially in building. So everything that everyone spoke about is uh, true. However, the thing that is surprising is the amount of reflections that millimeter gets, which actually increases the coverage. That was a good finding for us. So even in in-building spaces, office spaces, um, actually there is a fair amount of metal that actually helps with the propagation. Uh, of course, it doesn't penetrate through walls, um, you know, and th those are all problems uh, well understood. But uh, that's just one thing that uh, the coverage wise, it's reasonably actually robust. I mean, I will say that, um, you know, not of course, nothing like C band or, or, or FDD bands, but it's actually more robust than we think. Great. So um, I'm going to move back to uh, Dick and I have a, a question for Dick. Um, what in terms of deploying um, Wi-Fi and someone um, maybe a building owner is looking at this and they're gathering information to make a decision. And of course, you know, one of the key components in every deployment is the wiring costs or other project expenses. What are some good arguments that they should include for their decision-making process in their company and specific to their project? Well, I think um, you're absolutely correct, Julia. Um, when configuring either a distributed antenna system or a, a managed Wi-Fi service, cabling is a critical issue. And there are a number of different solutions that are available um, to building owners that they should investigate. One is uh, a company that, Julia, you're familiar with, Airvine, um, mm -hmm. and others like it, which provide uh, uh, radio frequency pathways using millimeter wave technology so that you can essentially run paths without having to provide cabling uh, down a hallway. That's one example. It reduces the cost of cabling. The second example is uh, to use a company like Positron, and there are several companies like that, which essentially deploy media converters that allow you to use existing cabling in a building like coax or twisted bear to emulate CAT6 cabling. So that by, by doing that, uh, and Positron's a good example, you can get a gigabit per second speed out of a coax cable using Positron's media conversion approach. So those are two basic areas where I think uh, uh, building owners should look to see what kind of cabling costs there are and what can be reduced. Yes, and I think, you know, specific, I know you mentioned Airvine, and yeah, I do have a little bit of insight on, on them and their solution. And I think what's great about their solution is it um, doesn't require line of sight, which is fantastic, and it does go through sheetrock, it goes through walls, it goes through glass, and their next-gen product will go through concrete. It goes, it goes through maybe one wall and close in. I mean, we've tested it. It does go through a wall. It's near line of sight. But basically, you still really need it to get the speed you want. You still really need line of sight. Okay. I guess, and I guess it depends on your building application, right? And what's the building structure look like internally? So, and again, Correct. we go back to the point of 
there's no one size fits all solution or technology. And many of the technologies are complementary, so you can't discount one versus the other because they all complement and work together. And it's just getting, I think as Brian said a couple of times, I like his terminology, you gotta have the right balance, strike the right balance. So um, that's very, very important. Um, we uh, still have a few more minutes and I'm not seeing any additional questions from um, our audience. So I'm going to um, ask a question maybe to everyone that um, on the panel and you guys can feel free to respond uh, if you would like. But I think one of the questions is, you know, we have a lot of aging properties out there our brownfield, um, while there's, you know, still new construction, you know, what are some of the key decisions or key, key points or facts you weigh when you look at um, deploying new technologies in brownfield environments? And what are usually your, your tried and true uh, go-tos that you know will be frictionless and that you know will be economical or cost-effective um, for your properties or for, in Dick's case, for your, and, and Sharice's case, for your customers? I, I'll start, <clears throat> and then everyone else can, I guess, jump in. Um, you know, since we're focusing on, on in-building wireless, um, I, would, I would look at something could be income generating, right? If you're looking at something that's slightly older, um, look at, let's look at a neutral DAS, right? Can we get a uh, neutral host DAS? Can we get that in there and start getting um, one or two uh, vent, um, providers on there that can start bringing in some income? <clears throat> um, you know, because depending on, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hard question because there's a lot of dependencies there, right? How much is, how much are you willing to invest in it? And, and what is, what are we expecting the return on the income to be? on the investment to be so you know maybe maybe putting a wi-fi system out there with some advertising on it right maybe putting some wi-fi out there where you can harvest names for like a a mail list because maybe that's more important to you that you can get some some uh people on a mailing list that you can market to and and, and increase your your overall uh, effectiveness at that that property those are some of the things that just go through my mind when i hear um, a question like that but maybe some of the other guys have some thoughts Maybe I, I can add uh, uh, from a from a network build out standpoint, is our philosophy has been to try to minimize disruption as much as possible. So let's say brownfield networks have already been built. Uh, there's LTE presence either through small cells or let's say a, a DAS system that's already been in place. Now you need to upgrade, right? So how do you make that upgrade as seamlessly as possible? We want to add C-band technology or whatever. Uh, one is just you know make sure that all of the cabling and the fiber and powering solutions are there that are future proof. So you put it once, do it right. The radios that you put that you that serve um, C-band, um, you know, in this case um, could potentially be upgraded to other technologies, the other other bands as well. That's very important. And then lastly, you know, what we've done is again, like I mentioned earlier, most of these networks are non-standalone right now, which means that they have to work with 4G. So you may, if you already have a 4G network, which is provided by one of the macro base stations, um, you know, feeding a DAS, then the 5G solution that you put in has to be interoperable with that. And so we are big interoperable believers, uh, interoperability believers. Uh, and so our solutions, you know, you can put a Corning 5G solution 
uh, along with somebody else's 4G solution and we completely work seamlessly in that context. So that's something that is very important to our customers so that you can actually minimize the cost of upgrading uh, that kind of a deployment. From a monetization standpoint, Julia, uh, the residential building owner has uh, a key, in my mind, a key facet of his uh, business in that he can put in a Wi-Fi service um, and he can essentially provide smartphone calling services, IoT services for his building operations, and he can charge the residents for a quality service. And so as a result, in many use cases we see, the building owner is now charging residents a fee for the use of the service throughout the building and making his money back over time. Maybe, maybe to add on to that, Dick, um, some cellular offloading as well. Um, I know some of the, I know some of the carriers are are now paying you for usage of if you can offload from their towers onto your Wi-Fi, provide that uh, cellular call, that cellular data. They'll pay you by the by the meg, by the minute, and uh, and give you some of that money back in terms or, or or pay you for the use of your uh, your bandwidth, right? Your equipment, so that you can uh, you can leverage that. And there's, you know, in a lot of ways, there's no ex extra investment made. You've got your Wi-Fi there. You 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 kind of hook it up with them, some radius authentication, um, follow their um, examples or their their documentation, and you can then go ahead and start um, kind of raking in money off of just your Wi-Fi if, if that's already in your building, right? You just that's not even an investment at that point. Just some time potentially. Ryan, that is spot on. Wow. Hey, that, that makes me think of another quick question for you guys because we still have time. So um, how are you guys addressing bandwidth to the building? I know, you know, for a while, um, a one gig pipe to the building was sufficient. But I think especially in multifamily, we're seeing, well, uh, I live in I don't live in multifamily, I live in single family, but we have bandwidth issues because we have a gamer in our in our actual living space. But there are a lot of gamers now that are um, within multifamily properties who are, you know, ending up being, you know, uh, partakers of large portions of bandwidth. So what's your go to standard or what, you know, if you've been using one gig, you know, are you guys looking at up, upgrading your bandwidth? pipe connection to your buildings? And you know what are you looking at? What's your trend going forward? We've already done it. Um, we're, we're supplying often five gig to a 250 apartment complex and, and sometimes 10 gig depending upon the requirement. But one of the things that we do, which I would highly recommend to anybody, is we limit the bandwidth usage to a certain amount so that a gamer who, who can absorb zillions of gigabytes uh, is limited to how much he can hog the network. So let me, let me add to that a little bit. We've done something kind of similar to that in a different way. Um, we've taken a look at what kind of uh, internet service we're providing from the wide area network into the building and separated out into where do we need a, a dedicated internet connection and where do we use that shared broadband? So the, 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 uh, 
high use, but we need to limit. Um, we put over onto the broadband and things like telephones, which are kind of critical and, and other building systems that we can't afford to lose the bandwidth. We put that over on the dedicated internet circuit where we're guaranteed a, a, a certain rate and we're not sharing it with anybody else. And then we balance those with SD-WAN. One thing that maybe to add to that from a backhaul perspective, you know, what's also important is for the network to support all types of backhaul. It could be a dedicated backhaul that's coming into the building or a shared backhaul. And in most of these cases, security is extremely important. So you have to, when you're connecting back, let's say to public core, uh, you know, how do you actually secure the packets coming in and out is extremely critical uh, so that uh, your the operator score is protected. And so in that sense, actually, we provide, uh, you know, both options. We can do uh, our network connectivity back to a dedicated backhaul or through an ISP uh, that's a shared backhaul as well. And our links are all fully uh, encrypted uh, from day one. So we have thought through that uh, from our solution uh, from day one perspective. Hey, Clayton, when you see these um, challenges of, you know, people in multifamily, I should say tenants, using up um, maybe larger portions of bandwidth. Um, do you guys address those specific, um, I know you said from a technology perspective, you address it, but what about from a cost perspective? Do you end up um, changing the, um, I, I guess, uh, their subscription service? How does that work? Do you yeah. charge them more for yeah, using more? Cousins is not in the residential uh, at all. Okay, We're I thought you had, the, sorry about that. Office space. Um, and so our, our gamer doesn't turn out to be gamers. It turns out to be video conferencing and, okay. and uh, teams meetings and such like that. And they, they can hog up just as much bandwidth as any gamer. True, true. So, and do you guys end up um, charging them more or do you, yeah, so you know, in, do you give them? In those, in those cases, uh, um, some of sometimes what we do is, if we have a shared conferencing space, then that's a a, a chargeable event for the customer to okay. use that to use that conferencing space. And there's there's also things you can do in terms of you know bandwidth limiting, right? So you can say that certain SSIDs only get a certain amount of bandwidth or the whole pipe or per device, right? So that you don't get somebody like a gamer eating up everything and everybody else struggling to get uh, on on the network. So uh, I know that we've utilized that in the past. And I think a lot of people said, you know, maybe SD-WAN, there's a lot of ways you can uh, attach attack this. And it's, it's kind of, um, uh, you know, dizzying in terms of the amount of different ways you can do this, but it, you got to pay attention to it. It's, it's definitely, uh, a big part of how you want to, you know, you got all the in-building wireless, which is great, but that it's got to go out somewhere, and you got to pay attention to that. Yeah, that's that's a uh, that's something that's come up with the with a lot of the court, courtyard space, where you can have uh, nobody out in the courtyard, and then you can have an event, and all of a sudden there's several hundred people in the in that space. So we also separate those networks out so that if we're if there's an event going on in the courtyard, it doesn't take down the facilities within the building. Yeah, we don't want that happening. And so uh, we're coming uh, really close to the um, end of the session today. Are there any uh, other points um, any of you all would like to make before we close out? 
I would say that um, we've tackled a lot of great topics and issues and potential solutions around wireless technology. And uh, like we said, there's no one one size fits all. And then, you know, the uh, the flip side of the coin is now um, maybe for consideration down the road is do we have the power we need to to our properties to support all these technologies and and uh, capabilities that we're operating in buildings. But we'll have to save that for a different session. But that's uh, something that is definitely on the minds of many building owners is not only keeping the connectivity um, up and uh, continually available in buildings, but also making sure that there is power resiliency and, and backup power as well. So um, I will turn uh, the discussion back over to Chuck who will um, close us out for today. Well, thanks, Julia. Before you go, I, I, I've got, I'm gonna squeeze in a couple of questions because I'm sitting over here on my hands just going, ooh, 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 I, I have questions. Uh, probably for Dick, I think, uh, you know, I think about when I was working in as a IT director, CIO, CTO in the industry, and people are asking, hey, should we be considering DAS in this building if we've got if we don't have good uh, connectivity or we don't have good signal in the basement where the building engineers are typically banished to the basement, right? Uh, you want to have some kind of connectivity down there. Uh, I, I almost think that if I came to you, you DAS might not be the first thing that you would recommend uh, today, as it would have been, say, three or four or five years ago. Uh, that's that's very observant of you. Chuck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the fact is that I think, uh, as as Clayton and Brian have pointed out, um, you need to understand the requirements in the building before you determine what approach to take. I think that uh, Sharish has pointed out that 5G has certain capabilities and for certain kinds of buildings and certain kinds of use cases, 5G becomes extremely important and therefore it's necessary to have a, potentially a private network or one with neutral host that allows uh, people to use the capabilities that are inherent within that 5G network. From my perspective, in the, in the multi-tenant residential and in some cases the commercial like the carpeted office environment. My view is that Wi-Fi, especially with Wi-Fi 6 and uh, OFDM protocol is now converging with 5G. And I think it serves uh, many, many different use cases that, that uh, would appear in those kinds of buildings. So if we have someone watching this as a recording or, or, or any, someone in our live audience and they're making that decision now, a full building assessment is, got, is right out of the gate. That's, that's, that's uh, the prescription for success, right? That is my view. And how does it factor in? What about if, we are, if we're talking about downtown Manhattan, Chicago, Dallas, Houston, versus Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, cell tower density make a difference in the equation? Sure. Um, as I pointed out during the presentation, the placement of the base station uh, with respect to a high-rise or a multi-tenant building 
is a critical issue to what kind of coverage you get inside the building. And my view is that that the environment certainly is different in Des Moines, Iowa, than it is in downtown Manhattan. Right. And so you have to look at it differently. Sharish, what about what about as companies are investing uh, investigating uh, uh, low voltage capability? And they want to bring that in for lighting. They want to bring it in for wireless access points uh, to to save costs and to lower their net carbon footprint. Um, does how does that factor into a corning type solution? Yeah, so we look at it from two standpoints, Jack. Uh, so one is that from the point of view of connectivity, whether it is fiber and power that we want to provide, essentially the same underlying infrastructure for all kinds of use cases. So it may just be wireless access points, it may be DAS radios, it could be other uh, applications uh, that, that need um, connectivity and, and power. Uh, the other thing is from the point of view of uh, the 5G or DAS networks themselves, how do you start to get more power efficient? And, and you know, you know that, uh, you know, you have to sort of breathe that with respect to traffic demand. As, as the traffic demand goes down, you can actually start to power off devices and so so save some uh, save energy there as well. So we've started looking at that very carefully as well. Were, were, were the lights that doubled as lights, LED lights and wireless access points, were that, was that gimmicky or, or, is, or is, are people still buying that? Uh, no, I, I have, don't have much experience there, but it, I think it was a lot of it was. All right. So Brian and Clayton, you're not investing in lights that do uh, do, do do the Wi-Fi as well, right? Okay. All right. Well, listen, I, I think we do have to wrap up. Again, thanks again for all your just valuable contributions. Uh, just a ton of information to process here. I think this will be a good uh, recording for people to refer back to when they're looking at what it is and why it's important when we think about these topics. That's why we do these series in two stages, a part one, part two, starting with what it is, why it's important, why companies are doing, what are some of the challenges, and then later on, how are they doing it? What are the case studies uh, and so on? That's how our series have been designed most of this year. Uh, I would say too, whether you've joined us uh, live or you're watching this as a recording, thanks for tuning in. And be sure to register for part two in this series uh, titled Wireless Technology Solutions and Case Studies using that same formula that I mentioned. That's on October 5th, three weeks from today. And then the start of the, our next part, uh, two-part series, that'll be workplace evolution, trends, immersive experiences, hybrid work, return to work, all of the things that are going on with that, uh, uh, employee apps, tenant applications, a lot of new developments in that area. So that'll start on October the 12th. Also make plans for Cortec 2023 and a new, a new uh, conferencing session called Buildings AI hosted by Meta and it's in their museum at Meta campus in Menlo Park. Check that out online if you want to see something fabulously uh, modern and uh, it's going to just be a fabulous event on November 15th and 16th. So um, be sure to check those things out. Uh, I, I wish we could have more time to, to dive in some more of this discussion, but uh, it's that time. That's it for us. Thank you and be safe. Thanks again to all of our panelists. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.